1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. What? A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. Yeah. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice Whoa. whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. So welcome to the Rector's Cupboard. This is episode five, chapter four, and we're calling it Not At All Like a Rose Trampled on the Ground. I don't know if we'll explain that title or not. Probably not. Uh, we're going to be having conversations about worship, music, spiritual formation, and all of that under the umbrella of hopeful theology. Uh, our guest a little later bit, a little later, will be Carolyn Ahrens, uh, who we'll introduce more properly later. But right off the top, I'd like to say hello to Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi. And to Ken. Hi, Ken Best, because there's two Kens. Ken Bell as well will be joining us for the Rector's Cupboard portion a little later. And I thought we'd start off our conversation this time uh, in reference to an article that I saw recently and topic that we've been talking about. When uh, celebrities, you know, artists, musicians, others give kind of opinions on political topics or social issues and how they can get that get how that can get them into trouble. So of course, the famous example is the Dixie Chicks in 2003. This article, which was on, uh, on CNN, mentions that, um, that the Dixie Chicks took a stand, I guess, against the Iraq war, mm -hmm. and then were kind of blacklisted within the country music community. It cost them a great deal. So under that kind of idea, the article is basically saying that contemporary Christian musicians are really, really reticent to express just about any political view, particularly if it goes against kind of the standard, more conservative political view. You guys have seen the article. Mm -hmm. uh, anything stand out for you? Anything that you remember? Or what do you think in general about artists expressing kind of political opinions? Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think, um, I guess I'm, I, I don't know how it could be avoided. Like I think I, I get where they're coming from in the, in the sense that it's hard to earn a living as a, as a Christian musician and um, you don't want to isolate groups of people from from your um, from your music. Um, I, I just think whenever you've got a platform, this is and this is totally personal preference, right? Like I think whenever you've got a platform, you use it. Um, but that's maybe the social justice warrior in me a little bit. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that one of the things that stuck out to me in that article was, um, you know, are these are people in this position? Uh, they're for entertainment purposes, or is it supposed to be that they're doing something more with that platform? So um, ideally, I think you should do the most that you can with the platform that you're given. Um, but we do look to people to provide just simply entertainment mm -hmm. as well. So I think that uh, it's important how these artists are choosing to present themselves, like what's their, what's their goal and what it is that they're doing. Are they, are they there to present a political um, agenda, or are they there just to provide something pleasurable uh, for their audience? Sorry, Catherine. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point because one of the one of the groups that the article mentions is U uh, two because U two are a fantastic uh, example of uh, people living authentically uh, that have spiritual views and share them in their music really um, 
succinctly and very specifically. Um, and I think they land so well with people because they don't shy away from hard stuff. And they but they're big to enough to get away with it too. Yeah, that's true. Right. So mm-hmm. like, there's I don't know I don't know the scene that well the contemporary Christian music scene, but the artist that's mentioned off the top in this article is I guess it's pronounced Torin Torin Wells. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a young, like 33-year-old um, musician, I understand. And and he has a quote in here. He said, I would never oppose a president because I believe in what Scripture says about giving honor to authority. Uh, that doesn't mean I agree with everything, but if I believe that, it, but I believe that an attack on authority anywhere is an attack on authority everywhere. Like, when I read that, I kind of go, I don't really think that he believes that. I think that, that, you know, there are times when he would attack authority. Do we have another podcast to talk about authority? Because I think that's a whole that's a whole other kettle of, of fish. But I totally agree with the sense of, um, you know, I don't think that's a fair argument to say just because I won't. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There's well, probably lots has, of times like, he would it, question when authority. Last year, so was it last year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's still going on. But the mm-hmm. the, the thing in the United States with kids being taken away from their families at the border and such, right? And mm-hmm. and the Attorney General at the time, Jeff Sessions, I remember this. I remember kind of preaching about it or, or mentioning it in a sermon that Jeff Sessions came out and quoted Romans, you know, where it says, like, you've got to obey the, the, the earthly authority that's put over you. And I think it's always conveniently quoted. It's quoted when the authority over you happens to align with your political view, right? That... And it's a real misuse of that scripture text, obviously, to say you should you should support us even taking kids away from their parents because we're the authority that's over you. So I think sometimes there's a convenient kind of excusing, but in this article, there's a lot of that sense of they're not they're not going there because it would just simply cost them. Yeah, I think much. that's that's the thrust of the article is that the cost is too high to say something. Um, in the article as well, it talks about is it so wrong that they would just sing a sing about love like is it so wrong they would just keep circling back to Mm. you know the um god's love and availability and and it's not really wrong that they would do those things um but it does fall short of the platform once again that they've been it also mentions i think interestingly enough and i i thought responsibly that many of these artists who some would criticize for not expressing political views um, against certain things, if it's really excessive, right? Even if it's your side, that many of those artists are involved in foundations and helping the poor, and often traveling around the world to do. Like, there's some really, really good work, and I and I appreciated that the article mentioned that. I think for our kind of context in terms of hopeful theology, we're back to one of the things that I think we've spoken about before, and and I certainly find interesting is that the the challenge is that we're trying to figure out where somebody falls on what side of a, of a particular line. And so if somebody says, for example, something about the, you know, if they express something about homosexuality that doesn't fall in line with a certain kind of uh, conservative understanding or something, they're just automatically, oh, they're on that side of the line now, so we can't trust mm-hmm. them, so we can't listen to their music. And so I find that extremely hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I think that as long as we're doing that, it just it just isn't going anywhere, right? And that this whole article is basically outlining that that exists within within the Christian music world, mm-hmm. where you just can't even talk about those kinds of things because you're going to be labeled, right? Yeah. So, gonna, gonna, oh, our producer, I'm producer Rick, joined the fray. We have, hang on, we have producer Rick here as well, and we have Spencer Capier, who's a recording artist um, in his own right. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it, well, we would introduce Spencer Capier, but we're not going to fully do that. But so Spencer may chime in, and producer Rick is going to chime in. Rick, go ahead. No, I did, but just... 
I wanted to go back to you two really quickly, and I and you guys will get into this much in more in depth than I will. But um, I think thinking back, remember how Bono and 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 you two were with George Bush? They actually didn't. Um, they yeah they embraced they pulled he in. thanks them almost every concert still he still does yeah because yeah, of, of uh, a lot of the work they did in Africa yeah. um, but he knew he wouldn't get anywhere by just shutting it down he uh, mm-hmm. and I think in that and as Christians he pointed uh, higher and bigger um, and never mired into the issues and so hoping that Christian artists will take a stance one way or the other um, I'm more concerned about the ones that are readily willing to do that too quickly. Um, uh, you know, anyways, that was my little thing. I will now pass this back to Ken. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Well, our, our guest for this podcast is Carolyn Ahrens, and I'm looking at uh, her little uh, description from her own website about um, who she is, and there's a lot here, and it's fantastic. We're really pleased, to, Carolyn, that you've joined us and, and appreciate you being here, particularly for talking about music and worship but also what you bring uh, to the table, literally here, for uh, in terms of spiritual formation and much of the work that you've been doing over the last number of years. So um, chime in whenever you want. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Carolyn, well done. There you go. Producer, Producer Rick with We're the just We're, We're distracted by the beauty. <laughs> I just want to clarify that I did not just burst into song. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that was not Carolyn. But, uh, as soon as you're even partially introduced, you're partially introduced, and it just oh, and starts. Oh, would you like to know what I think politically? Yeah. Yes. I'm here. No, we're not I'm interested. Here. To hear it. Uh, Carolyn Aarons has released 12 albums and has uh, and, the, and authored three critically acclaimed books. 15 of her songs have become top 10 radio singles. Uh, on the Canadian pop and U.S. Christian charts. Aaron's has earned two Dove Awards, three Juno nominations, and was recognized as the West Coast Music Awards Songwriter of the Year. Do you remember what year? Long okay, time Okay, sorry, we'll keep going. <laughs> yes. um, she's she's a, an accomplished writer. Her writing has also been recognized by the Evangelical Press Association and has been awarded Canadian Church Press Awards. In addition to uh, touring and speaking, Carolyn's been a regular columnist for Christianity Today, Faith Today, CT Women, and has served as a professor at Axe Seminary, Pacific Life Bible College, Columbia Bible College, a lot of places. Bunch of places. I'm teaching at Trinity teaching now? right now. Yeah. What worship, are you teaching well, now? I'm teaching a worship arts course called and Songs of Faith. What yeah. do you like most about teaching oh. in that kind of context? Um, well... Uh, boy, I was, I was already a difficult question. I'm tapping out. Okay. No, uh, what do I like uh, about teaching? First of all, I tend to take on teaching because it makes me learn stuff. So it's quite selfish. Um, but I know if I, uh, usually if somebody asks me to teach something that I think, oh, I always wanted to be able to really think about that, then I'm interested in teaching it. And then it is actually really satisfying and fun to uh, communicate like ideas to other people kind of and learn people from them. Or, yeah. And, yeah. 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 So, it, um, and then it has a little bit of personal stuff here in terms of well, uh, where you did some theological studies at Regent College, mm-hmm. Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Regent, um, and currently now, and uh, you've you've worked with us on in the context of some of the spiritual formation stuff, yeah. the director of education for Renovare. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what Renovare is. So Renovare was founded by Richard Foster. Probably some people will know his book, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, 40 years ago, he wrote that book about uh, this idea that only God can heal and transform us, but he, we actually can cooperate. We don't have to sit mm-hmm. around and wait to get zapped. So we there are some things we can do to 
cooperate with God, be intentional in our in our our being shaped into the image of Jesus. And um, so he wrote this book. It kind of blew everybody away. It was just going through classic spiritual practices that had been documented as helpful in this journey. And so all these churches started asking him to come help, and he realized it was bigger than he could manage. So he founded Renovari. And I didn't even know Renovari was a, a thing. But you'd read the book. I you'd had, read Celebration. Well, I had all these books with right. a, a Renovari logo right. that were like kind of... Freedom Simplicity. You yeah, know. yeah. yeah. And Dallas Willard. Right. And um, yeah, lots of stuff. Um, they had done this compilation called Devotional Classics, yeah. which, you know, these kind of core samples from different um, centuries uh, in, in Christianity throughout Christian history. So, yeah, I, uh, when I, I kind of stumbled across that Renovari was looking for a director of education really? and, yeah, on our on our Regent uh, we, uh, Facebook page. And That's fantastic. Did, didn't I, know I, I knew was you were. I didn't know how. Or yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, and just kind of uh, the way I've always described that moment, I felt like somebody hit a tuning fork, put it on my chest, mm. and I started to vibrate and uh, walked out and said to my husband in the family room, I think I know what I'm supposed to do when I grow up. Oh, and uh, yeah, so I started working with them about four years ago. But you're yeah. still doing music? I am. Yeah, I, I do it as part of my work with Renovari and then right. also some some other things in other contexts. That's, that's excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And if I can go back to the conversation about of course the, you can. the CNN article, the one thing uh, Spencer had actually uh, texted me that article and um, I felt very old when I read it because I didn't know a lot of the artists <laughs> in it. I, I haven't kept up the way I should. But I had just just come back from this thing called Hutchmoot, which is this conference in Nashville of these really thoughtful... Uh, we had a friend who went there, and she said you were by far her favorite. She Aww. liked everything, Aww. but Aww. I said, what was the best? That's and she's so like, nice. Carolyn Aarons was Aww. the best. Yeah. That's very so sweet. Um, but uh, anyway, just chock-a-block of these very thoughtful singer-songwriters, many of whom are... Uh, are are living up to a prophetic calling to mm -hmm. speak to issues of social justice and their political implications, um, but you're not going to see them in a CNN article. And yeah. and uh, a Andrew Peterson, who is uh, a fabulous artist, who is kind of the guy that started this, he he was saying, "Oh, you know, people say to me, you can't find any good Christian music anywhere," and I just say, "You're not looking in right. the right places." So, mm. um, I, you know, even when we get into right. conversations about worship, this there is a lot of so it's like this whole industry, this kind of yeah. kind of mainstream that you're in if you're in CCM contemporary Christian music, yeah, which is actually getting teenier and teenier and right. teenier, and that and that's actually the story of music in general that um, sort of the independent artist uh, has proliferated like crazy. And then, you know, the people that are doing, that are quote unquote big time, that is a smaller and smaller piece of the pie, but it's still the, you know, and, and not to take anything away from those artists, but right. there's just so much more. So right. I uh, appreciate the point. Yeah. That's a good point to yeah. the, so, okay, what we're gonna do now, and, and then we'll, you know, let you guys have the conversation is we're going to open up the rector's cupboard. So I don't think right. we've explained this to you what this is, the rector's cupboard, a little bit. So where the idea comes from is in the late 1800s in England, they eventually, through a se sequence of events, had to pass some laws. Um, and it was called the regulation of public worship because there were so many fights and riots and such in churches. <laughs> People occupying choir stalls and bringing their animals in and oh, little wow. And a lot of it was over tradition or, you know, things yeah. used to be better or yeah. all of this kind of thing. In, in one of a specific context of that larger story, there was a minister named Brian King, the Reverend Brian King, obviously Anglican in England in the mid to late 1800s. And he took over a particular parish and he instituted change, as often happens. And, and people didn't like him, and they were trying to get rid of him for like 
years and years and years. And there's there's like there were lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. It's a fascinating story to read. But apparently, one of the things that the Reverend King changed, Reverend Brian King changed, mm -hmm. was a practice called the rector's cupboard. And what the rector's cupboard was, was if you were volunteering in the service, uh, you know, all the various roles you could have in an Anglican service, uh, then you could avail yourself before the service and after the service of any of the liquor in the rector's cupboard. Uh. And so Brian King said, we're going to close the rector's cupboard. And people apparently got really upset, right? Uh. And it's one of their f complaints against him. So we're yeah. kind of borrowing our title from that. And so each episode... Uh, we open the rector's cupboard again, and so it might be coffee, it might be um, something, uh, some alcohol, and we just simply taste it. We're, we don't have any pros here. And so we have a host for this portion of the podcast, and that's uh, Ken Bell. So Ken, you'll come along and tell us what's in the rector's cupboard, and we'll open it up right now. We will. Thank okay. you very much. And uh, yeah, we felt it also appropriate to get an Anglican priest to host this part of the uh, of the podcast as well, uh, carrying on the legacy of uh, of Reverend King. And so uh, yeah, what we have today for our tasting is lemoncello. This particular it's an Italian liqueur. Uh, it's made with lemons. Uh, it's usually very tart uh, and. A lot of the stuff that you get over here in Canada is super sweet. It's very syrupy. This is made locally by a company called the Woods Spirit Company. Fabio Martini is mm -hmm. the owner and proprietor and maker of this. And I don't think you can have a better name for someone who's running a distillery than Fabio Martini, who makes mostly Italian uh, liqueurs, Amaro and Limoncello. So uh, as we continue our conversation, I find theology always seems to go well with a little bit of um, assistance as we talk about it. Uh, Ken, Catherine, you, you agree with that? So we're going to try this limoncello right now. What do you say, um, chin chin? That, that's Italian, isn't it? Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, it could be. Uh, there's a slight hint. Woo! Yeah, but there's also a slight hint of chili in it. He adds a little bit of chili in it just to just to get rid of some of the sweetness. I can wow. feel that in my nose, guys. There's still, <clears throat> there still is a fair bit of sweetness to that, though. There is a fair bit of sweetness, I but also say. the lemon. Yeah. 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 That was well put. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. It's a succinct, can I appreciate it? it? Rick, you can, you can try, you can try a yeah. sip. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the limoncello. I hope that it helps you, you in your conversation Thank you, of Ken. worship and such. And uh, we'll keep the bottle open and the rector's cupboard open until the end of the episode. Thank, thank you, you very much. And thank you, Fabio. And thank you, Fabio. Yeah. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Fabio from the woods. Fabio Martini. Mm -hmm. That is Not a fantastic. Like Fabio. Is it Fabio? Fabio? Like the muscly Fabio that was on like romance novels? Well, in I don't the 90s? know. I never know. The B and the V, I think, are interchangeable, aren't they? Oh, Fabio. This is Fabio. Fabio. Oh, it's a B. No, but is, yeah. does it so matter? Could it be the same guy? I've always thought you could change yeah. that letter. I don't know. Just, okay. just, just a few more comments on this. Yep. I think yep. over ice. Comments. I think like even yeah. colder, even colder. You know what? Over ice cold with yeah. some um, soda, soda yeah. water yeah. would be delish. I, mm -hmm. I keep mine in the freezer. Yes. In the freezer. Uh, and yeah. it also makes a really nice uh, martini yes. mix. Uh -huh. Like you uh -huh. add yeah. it in with, with some yeah. gin and stuff like that. I like that. it. It's, but it's woo, perfect. that's not for I, school night, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's a Friday night. Uh, for a Friday or Saturday Fabio night. on Fridays. Yep. Fabio Fridays. Yep. Yeah. Fabio Fridays. <laughs> Get your 90s romance novel out. So... Okay, well, let's dive into the conversation on worship. <laughs> okay. okay. Moving on. Um, we've all been, I think most of us or all of us here, not that it has to be this way, and hopefully with the Rector's Covered podcast, it won't remain this way all the time, but we all happen, I think, to, uh, I'm looking around the room, to have kind of a 
lots of church experience, mm-hmm. which means we've had quite a bit of experience with church music mm-hmm. and worship. And we've been at it long enough, most of us here, that you know we've experienced kind of various things. Some of us, different denominations, but I think probably it's fair to say that most here are more familiar with kind of the contemporary evangelical music scene. Maybe Spencer, a little bit different, a little more experience in straight Anglican kind of worship. Both. Okay. And so so when we're talking about music, we're talking about those, you know, is it hymns? Is it choruses? Is it so? And then there's always been this kind of interplay. You could say, you know, let's talk about worship and people might mean music or, you know, so we're, we're okay with that, that like there's worship and there's worship music and there's. So Carolyn, we thought we'd start off just by saying, tell us some parts of your story. What's your experience with music and, and with worship music in particular? Maybe what drew you to becoming involved in, in the music scene? I don't know your experience in terms of leading music in church, right? Is that something that you've done a great deal of? Anything that, to right. kind of offer up? Yeah, well, so uh, born in a pew pretty much. <laughs> and so definitely uh, a lifelong participant in congregational worship growing up in a Baptist church. Uh, as as a, a, a very young person, um, I was a very shy person, and I discovered songwriting as uh, a way to have a voice. And I was in a little church community that um, saw that and affirmed that. So like from about the age of 12 on, uh, my pastor would call me and say, I'm preaching on this this week, write me a song to go with it, which... Mm-hmm. Looking back to it, um, required a lot mm-hmm. of sacrificial love from the congregation. And uh, but nur- nur- do you remember those songs? Some of them. A few of them. Okay. Well, it sounds yeah. like a very engaged minister, though. Like a very engaged yeah. pastor. Yeah. Right. He uh, wants yeah. he wants to hear your voice, and he knows that it's benefiting the community. Yeah. 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 I, I very unique and rare, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and uh, but I was not writing uh, songs for corporate expression and. Um, I never really have. I think that that is a um, uh, a high calling and a, and a very difficult ch- uh, task. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, most of uh, I did become a, a career singer songwriter and, and did that kind of exclusively for uh, many years and uh, was always writing on uh, Christian themes because I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. It's what I find uh, the most fascinating. Uh, but was writing for. Uh, personal expression, mm-hmm. for not for uh, congregational expression. And I think those categories have to be very clear uh, and distinct. Um, but I have ended up becoming a de facto worship leader right. many times in many different contexts. Also have um, seen worship, corporate worship done a lot of different ways uh, over a long career of playing in all different kinds of uh, churches and denominations. And now lead worship uh, for the Renovari Institute and have had a chance to teach theology of worship and and so only in recent years to think more reflectively and consciously about okay what is this that we do when we gather together um and so when so, you say you're leading for the renovari institute what yeah. would that look like what kind of gathering is that so that is uh at the renovari institute um uh i'm the director of the institute and because i can play music i end up Um, playing music. So uh, what happens is the students um, get together twice a year for these week-long intensives and we have um, worship first thing in the morning and worship at night and um, and so I I lead the worship. So uh, it's kind of uh, like a church service to some degree. It is. It is. I I don't uh, it's interesting because I've been thinking much more reflectively about this this the undergirding structure of a corporate worship service and I don't feel as tied to that in in the Renovari Institute 
uh, context as I would in like a Sunday morning right. mm-hmm. uh, uh, context. So, so I want to say off the bat that uh, if anybody's listening who is a full-time worship pastor, hats off to you. I think that is an incredibly challenging job and a high calling. Or if you're a worship songwriter, ha- mm-hmm. hats off to you. I'm going to share some opinions. I hope everybody else will right. too. But um, man, I think that that is... Um, Right, and it's the kind of thing that you know from being part of, part of churches for various time. Yeah, uh, worship leaders can get kind of shots taken at them a, a totally. great deal, and, and yeah. no matter what, you're not going to please maybe mm-hmm. most of the people. Oh, it's if you're right. doing your job right. Yeah, there's right. going to be unhappy people. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what what where have you felt kind of hope in terms of your own career, your own expression? Uh, the things that you've chosen to do and been gifted enough to do, what has drawn you in terms of that hopeful kind of connection to be like, this is good, this is, I, I love doing this, this is great? Well, I I mean, I, people say, how do you know that this was what you were supposed to do? And it, it, it was, again, because I couldn't help myself. I mean, that, you know, um, so um, uh, I think, uh, oh, hope, I, I think, uh, the arts in general and, and music in particular, um, they, they help us lean into beauty if we're doing them right. And, uh, beauty kind of is a kind of promise, mm-hmm. um, that, mm-hmm. uh, this, we're still on a journey. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, so I, I think a lot of the hope comes from, I'm really interested in the way that good art, uh, including music, makes us ache a little bit, makes us long a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that that longing and that aching is is a promise um, that uh, that there's a gap between what the world is and mm-hmm. what it should be and will be. Mm-hmm. Um, can I? And yeah, please. Can I just, <clears throat> just want to yeah. comment on that just because you use the word longing and I've got that word longing written down mm. here. Um, I told Todd I just wanted to talk a little bit about when I was um, in the mid-90s, when I backpacked through Europe, I had uh, I had a number of CDs with me. I think they were CDs and not cassettes at that time. <laughs> we'll say mid-90s. CDs would have been Eight new. Tracks. CDs would have been new. Been yeah. new all new but, um But I, I remember two CDs that I had. One was uh, James Taylor and one was yours. Aww. And uh, as, I, as I moved through Europe, I sort of listened to a lot of things, I guess, but I listened to these two albums mm. quite a lot. Mm. And um, one song in particular just has stuck with me over the years, and that is uh, Reaching. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm glad that you said, you know, um, kind of art can be an expression of longing, and yeah. music as well can be an expression of longing. And that can be individual. It can be corporate, which yeah. is good, but it yeah. can all, it's an individual thing. Um, and just so much of my experience growing up in church was um, the worship was, the corporate worship was uh, prescriptive. Right. You know, it was sort of telling you a truth yeah. or it was giving you a meditation that you were supposed to share corporately. Yeah. But um, that song in particular was, has been powerful for me over the years, just talking about how um, there aren't tight, easy answers for everything. Yeah. And there is this uh, quality of the unknown. And for those parts of ourselves as well, that we don't uh, aren't comfortable sharing or that we're exploring, but we know that we're onto something. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. Th- there's that longing, and there's this promise of something more to come. 
Yeah. So for me, that's all very powerful. So I, I, I want to thank you for, for that song. Uh, so incredible. you're listening yeah. to that all the all years ago? I, I and this is the first time you guys have met? I've, yeah, I've never met yeah. Carolyn that's before. That's so cool. Yeah. It was but, on my very first album. Yeah. yeah. But really? I, yeah. I, still will, I still will sing. I think that you know, Seize, to, Seize the Day is such a, is such a big song associated with I've got you. it going through my head like, <laughs> yeah. this entire night. But this other one, this other one um, um, Reaching, I have sung that song to myself throughout many different uh, pages in my life. Huh. Um, so, you know, oh. your work does have this, uh, this power that echoes on. Oh, that's so and I think that that's the power of, of art mm. and of somebody responding to what it is that they, that's theirs to make, you know, huh. and sharing it. Thank so, you. That's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super beautiful. I think I'm. Um, I, I know you said before that you've seen corporate worship done a lot of different ways mm-hmm. in a lot of different places. And sometimes for me, when I think of art and beauty, I don't always make the connection to a corporate yeah. worship. So I would love to know, you know, where is a place that you've maybe uh, engaged in corporate worship where it's been evocative for you of these beautiful sort of. Right. emotions uh like can you can you share any of these well, sort of memories or? I, i'm going to be a bit tangential but hopefully stick the landing get, totally. get to your question so the the um i've been thinking about this a lot so we have to do some definitions of terms i think so yeah so worship is your whole life right mm-hmm. it's your orientation you're worshiping something we're all built to be worshipers and so hopefully if you're a follower of the triune god you're worshiping the triune God with your whole life. Then there's corporate worship, which is the stuff we agree to do together in a group. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a subset of that corporate worship is our use of uh, music that we sing together. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when when you have when you're an artist, you bristle under a very functional sort of orientation to any art. Uh, so you think, well. Why can't it just be an expression of beauty that awakens us up to mm-hmm. truth? But I've actually become more and more convinced that the that the music we use when it's a time when it it has a liturgical purpose, mm-hmm. whether whether mm-hmm. your church uses the word liturgy or not, it just means the work of the people. So the when the people sing together, I actually think music has to become subservient in a way and it has to function as a vehicle of congregational response Mm -hmm. and that's right and good and the artists in the room are going yeah but music can do so much more Mm -hmm. like now it just has to be what the least musical person in the room can do but it's a very other centered loving use of music in in that context it can still be done very well but it has very set um limitations and i and if if it enables an entire congregation to sing together as one voice, that can be profoundly moving and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, I think the music and, and the arts can serve other liturgical functions besides facilitating congregational response. So I would be a huge fan of bringing back uh, the, it still occurs in some churches, but in a lot of churches it doesn't. In a lot of churches we say the only way that we can me- use music is for congregational response. We've done away with the choral number or the organ solo or the jazz number or whatever, right? Mm. Well, I think uh, it would be wonderful to see congregations come back to a moment in the service where now we're gonna worship by listening and where and music is gonna do something other than facilitate uh, congregational mm-hmm. response. Um, and so now I have to answer your question is where, where have I seen that done? Um, 
And let me think. Well, I the church that I go to, our pastor Brian Bueller. So I go to oh yeah, uh, Brian Bueller. Yeah, oh, great. Pacific Community. He is a painter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, he'll use a, a, mm. a piece of art as kind of a visio divina, mm-hmm. a divine scene, and it's in, incredibly powerful mm. and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard um, musical pieces that aren't for congregational mm-hmm. expression that have, that have moved me mm-hmm. uh, really deeply. In fact, I was just in Birmingham, Alabama, at a United Methodist church that was very high up on the candle for a, a United Methodist church. It was very formal. And uh, there was a big pipe organ in there, which is outside of my mm. usual church experience, and the organist like ripped it up on um oh, what i can't remember the song now but it was fantastic mm-hmm. i had tears streaming down my face by the mm-hmm. by the end of it it was just rattled my bones and uh, was really powerful and quite outside of my normal experience because so. you had Catherine, you were mentioned i know you've got some you yeah. were mentioning to me the kind of odd nature of the experience of people gathering together you sit in these like if you don't go to church then where is another place where you like sing together with people? Well, yeah, at a Taylor Swift concert. Okay, so a concert, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but, but, a corporate gathering, right? But pay, attention, right? But pay yeah. attention to that mm-hmm. because there's energy there. When it's one that everybody yeah. knows, mm-hmm. like I, there's an old it's Simpsons, a corporate experience. There's an old Simpsons episode. Yes. It's like I know this one, yeah. right? But it's it is so yeah. bonding mm-hmm. when a group of people know the song and sing together. Mm-hmm. They instantly feel like friends and family. Mm-hmm. So when it does happen, it's actually super powerful. We manage to make it kind of starchy and weird right. sometimes well, so, in, it, in yeah. church. But and it is so it is so mm-hmm. powerful in that it comes in through this entirely, it's a different door that it comes in through. I remember once being at Sutherland Church. I, did, I wasn't going there at the time, but went for an Easter service and someone was singing the Via Dilla Rosa or something. And I just started bawling my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I had to leave the room. I was crying so hard because of where I was at at that time. Yeah. That just really spoke to me and impacted yeah. me and it came in through a very different door yeah. and um, so much of my experience growing up was um, things presented for me to think about right. or for behavior things for me to to ponder to hopefully influence or change my behavior yeah. so it was a sort of very in the head thing yeah whereas music has this wonderful power or art yeah um, has this wonderful power to come in through this entirely different door and kind mm-hmm. of to do a, a work that's uh, that's deeper it yeah. kind of you're set more saturated in it yeah 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 mm-hmm. absolutely it's uh it's more embodied mm-hmm. and um and it's i mean this is this is tricky because i do actually think worship music can have a really important catechetical if i can use mm. that word like teaching mm-hmm. role um and that that's a perfectly appropriate use of music um it's just not all that it can no. all that it can do yeah. and mm-hmm. um so yeah i do you want to Go, how did I do answering your question? Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love Further it. thoughts? I, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I, I do love the um, the use of all different forms of art and not just the um, the congregational music piece of it. And I do think I, I like what you're saying around the the fact that the congregational music serves a, a purpose of of sort of that liturgy um, of the congregation, right? Um, so that leads me to. Uh, what if it's a crappy song? Like what? what, what like I like I know we've all been in these rooms where you're like, if I have to sit through like three more songs of this worship set, I don't know what I will do, but I need to leave at this time. Yes. And so I just wonder, like, can can worship music? Can the congregational music 
be just bad? Like, it, it, like, uh-huh. do we have? And and what do we oh, do? It, like, it how do we get out of there? Can. Um, so Spencer has grabbed the microphone yeah, and, and with, with some passion. So let's hear what he has I'll, to say. I'll try not to cough because I'm still recovering from a, a thing. Have some limoncello. Yeah, that's, it's working quite well. Um, I think the problem is is that a lot of the nature the nature of the current contemporary worship music is that it is written by songwriters who are not congregational composers. And so they're writing music as if it's an individual singing. And it sounds great with all the heavy production around it, but they're not singable. They're not singable by congregations. Uh, And if you look at sort of the biblical roots for why there is singing in church, it's A, to exhort one another, and B, to praise God. And most of the praise and worship music that you see that makes money for that contemporary Christian music industry that we were talking about earlier, which has nothing to do with the stuff that Carolyn was describing at Hutchman, where you have Christians who are musicians, not Christian industry musicians, mm-hmm. um, niche marketing um, under the guise of evangel- evangelism. Right? Um, most contemporary Christian worship music is unsingable and horrible, and <laughs> Tell us how you really okay, feel. I'm going to walk it back a little bit. I know you are. I, yeah. So, but but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll finish by saying, and the yeah. nature of the way we deliver the worship package, as they describe it often in the evangelical church, like it's a cruise missile, um, <laughs> is that it turns the congregation into a passive receiver. Mm-hmm. This wall yeah. of sound, mm-hmm. you can't hear yourself sing. You can't hear everybody else singing. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting that Taylor Swift moment, which mm-hmm. is actually, I think, more of a religious yeah, experience it's, it's, than most of the stuff we get on Sunday morning. Yeah. Mm. I'm gonna start coughing, so I'll stop now. Walk, walk me back, yeah. Carolyn. No, no, no. I'm, I, you, I, can I Thank jump you. in? Is that, um, I, I'm with you on so much of that. So, so to me, to me, the the litmus test in any worship context that I'm in during the congregational worship time is not is this in a style that I like? Um, that because I'm old and my kids. Uh, can enter into something different than I can. So it's not, is this a style that I like? It's two things. It's One is, uh, are the lyrics saying mm-hmm. uh, something theolo- Anything. theologically Like a rose helpful. trampled on the ground. Theolo- <laughs> he took the fall and thought of me above all. Anyway, keep going. Um, yeah, so are, are, the lyrics, are the lyrics helping to tell the story of God and his redemptive acts in history? Are they helping uh, to exhort one another, as Spencer said? Or are they helping us to offer praise and worship? There's a variety. I think there's... There is a range of things the lyrics could be helping us do, but but it but then there's some limitations around that. So, are the lyrics um, uh, are they sufficient to something there? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, other than that, to me, the test is: are the people singing? Mm-hmm. And if the people aren't singing, mm-hmm. it's a fail. Just yeah. full stop. And if 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 they're singing and and theologically mm-hmm. sound, I don't actually care if it's punk or right. uh, mm-hmm. you know I I. Like, but Carolyn, I think yeah. it's a function of, sorry, you kept yeah. me going. It's a function of the qual- not just the quality of the lyrics, but the quality of the writing of the music. Absolutely. And the evangelical world is suspicious of good art. And, right. and uh, I think they're also suspicious of actually good musicians. And so if you're horrible, but you're doing it for Jesus, that's better. Uh, okay. Walk me back well, again. Well, no, well, well, there's, well, I mean, good, well, good art is risk. Thank you. I mean, I think yeah. that there's a suspicion of, of risk. Because you might arrive at the wrong conclusion if you right. just put things out there. So, right. you know, in regards to songwriting, I- any sort of artistic expression, I think that the church can be uh, conservative as it approaches it because yeah. we're, it's very important that we land in the right place. Yeah. And um, 
if people, you know, if, if there's sort of a, if it looks like we might not get there, I think people uh, get very scared. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually takes us back to some of the other ways that art can function liturgically. I think they can invite us into a mystery. They can help us to see that not everything has immediate resolution mm -hmm. and to listen to the groans of creation and the longing for the new creation. All of that is super important. With congregational singing, Spencer, I agree with you. I, where I, what I would really want to hone in on is music that's not being uh, written for congregational expression trying to be used for mm -hmm. congregational expression yeah. and whether you call that bad or good I mean somebody could actually be quite a good um, singer songwriter but write a terrible congregational song because they because that is a difficult demanding subversive and self-sacrificial art to figure out how to write things mm -hmm. that are fresh yeah. but that a bunch of people including again the person who's the least musically proficient in your congregation but then that your uh, limitations you can transcend them to have this amazing thing. I'm gonna, you know, Bach, right? I mean, all those cantatas and all those amazing hymns in the 1800s. Yeah. Where everything, the melodies are all steps, you know, one note away from each other, but they're the most beautiful melodies ever, and we can all sing them. And it's absolutely doable. And right. the, and the only other place I would push back is, you know, what what percentage now is is terrible. No, no and, but I mean, you've got um, the, the, <laughs> world, the talons of the world. That yeah, are that are that doing good stuff. Will, one or two of those things will stick around. And I, I, right? yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what's what's tricky about this is um, the older catalog. We have what survived, right? So there's a bit of a Darwinian selection process mm -hmm. going on here, mm -hmm. where, where what's left is the good stuff, and the new stuff we have what came out last week right. and what came out last month. Mm -hmm. Then, right? So do you think there's there's a I want to add another little piece here, and Catherine has some more questions that would, I think, I think I saw some of them are along these lines. Um, my experience is that if I was kind of evaluating what's going on during a, the music worship time in, in a given congregation, particularly more evangelical churches, is there's a particular feeling that's trying to, that, that mm -hmm. people are wanting to generate. And so even those who are part of the congregation somehow feel it was better if they felt a certain thing. And I've been to a couple of conferences um, oh, yeah, there was where... a key change and the Holy Spirit showed up, right? Yeah, and, and, and to the point, and I can say it because it's podcast, yeah, I was just going to say that, Ken, where I was at a conference. It was an Alpha conference, great conference. You know, Nikki Gumbel, fantastic, incredible speakers in the mornings, all these kinds of stuff, and the best, like, you know, biggest worship leaders in the world leading right. worship. And yet, and I'm, you know, got the skeptical side to my nature, but I also noticed that people were really, really into it and they were definitely caught up in it. Yeah. It was really important to them. But in my mind, I called it to some degree worship porn because mm -hmm. I started to realize, it, particularly in the evening, every song was about 14 minutes long, mm -hmm. 13, 14 minutes long, and they all followed the same pattern, right? Where it was like <laughs> verse, 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 and it's kind of building. Right. And then you think the climax is going to come, but it won't let you I get there. A little bit uncomfortable. It's podcast. Right and then, and then well, I'm so, loving this actually. But instead of that, instead of that, it goes to bridge, right? right. Which is now the best. Right. And then when right. payoff comes, yeah. it comes. And then even to the point where like the end of the song is like, oh Lord, oh Lord. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just like after seven of those in a row, oh my gosh. you're just like... <laughs> you're exhausted. Can I just tell you? Thank you. This was actually my next question. This was, this was my next question was around like the music part of worship. And there's something about any art that can be used to manipulate emotion. And I think, um, you know, the music and how we actually use it in a congregational setting mm -hmm. 
has power <laughs> and used inappropriately, i.e. altar calls, i.e. big sweeping themes and singing well, like things I knew every time, times. Like every time. Here comes the bridge and here comes yeah, the bridge. But you know, I'm like, not saying it wasn't, it something be, real was going on too. But no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but it can be manipulative. And I mean, yeah. maybe it's because I have like uh, PTSD. I went to a Bible college and, <laughs> uh, you know, chapel every day, five days a week for five years. Uh, I did sing of his love forever. Like literally, <laughs> literally. every, literally forever. every day forever. And Over if I never hear that song again, stop. I'm going to, no. And so I just sort of, I worry about this manipulation of, you know, music during people's prayers to sort of give that, that, that uh -huh. feeling. And, you know, is there somewhere like, what do you teach your worship art students? This is what I'm curious. Yeah. Well, it, it's tricky because, yeah. <laughs> because we've already talked about that. It can do this wonderful thing mm -hmm. of helping us access part, you know, more emotional yeah. parts of ourselves, more embodied parts of ourselves. But I think it's Jeremy Begbie who says, like, we basically, there used to be all these different options of how music and the arts uh, could um, uh, could help us uh, or, or could function, and now we basically got it down to expressivistic, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. like just emotion, just expressing yep. emotion, and often in a very narcissistic way because that's who we are, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's not even I love you, God. It's like let's look at how I am about loving you, God, right? right? Like or I, how sorry I am about how I don't love mm -hmm. you, God, and mm -hmm. you know it's still me, 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 me. It's just um, um, so it. This this is incredibly tricky because I don't think we should be divorced from the emotional right. power. Yeah, I totally, of music. I, agree. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Right? Yeah. But but it is uh, it's the potential for manipulation yeah. uh, and for goosebump yeah. addiction mm -hmm. and for you know I, I think it was Wesley who said you know one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to convince us that we have to feel something mm -hmm. for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. On a, on kind of a goosebump emotional level. So um, there's a very, uh, it takes a lot of responsibility. You're kind of working with, yeah. with dynamite. So there's, there's some people uh, in, who write about worship who talk a lot about um, fittingness or intrinsicality. So uh, uh, theologically, is the music saying the same thing that the lyric is saying? Is it a, if you just heard the music, um, is the music saying mm -hmm. what the lyric is trying to say. And w where I really feel that uh, some problems with that is if I occasionally do turn on Christian radio, mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, uh, uh, and maybe it's moving a little bit more to these long kind of... Um, <laughs> Worship porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you use the yeah. term. Um, yeah. but, uh, but what I hear is everything is so fat and triumphant right. and yeah. shiny and mm -hmm. muscular mm. And I'm and I Anthems. and I listen for an hour and I'm like, where's the cross? Like yeah. I don't, mm. and um, yeah, where's the longing? That doesn't sell, right? Yeah, dirges right. don't sell. Right, you the, know the the, the 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 agony of the cross does not sell records. Right, and so you're not going to get that in any kind of capitalist commercial venture. And this and this is a this is a huge problem because worship is formative for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Brian Dirksen uh, recently came and talked to my students. It was very helpful. And one of the things he challenges them on is the song "Our God Is Greater." He hmm. said, "If you if you go Sunday after Sunday and you sing our God is greater, our God is greater than your God. It's than all about other, power yeah. than any yeah. other God. Then so you'll want to make America great again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's you've been. That's what church has been forming you to want mm -hmm. uh, is uh, power and influence and position, and it has nothing to do with the power that Christ modeled. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so you know now how much is 
my taste as a folk singer songwriter playing into mm. it? Probably right. lots. Yeah. I mean, I Not can't. As much as you're saying, no, I disagree. I think you're absolutely right, and I don't think you know. We shouldn't talk about taste. We should talk about theology. Yeah, and, but but there is a level of subjectivity to it. Like uh, when you're trying to evaluate if uh, is this music fitting to the lyric, you can have several thoughtful people who will have a different take on that. Like I, mm. I think our cultural. But that's a very postmodern thing to say. I think we well, get yeah. to say things are wrong. I mean, yet the guy you quoted before, Begbie, he's a Platonist. Mm -hmm. He believes that there are certain harmonic structures which are inherently good and inherently mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. And we don't dare say that your music sucks anymore because that's a value judgment. We've got two boxes. Right. Things that are true because you can poke them with a fork like two plus two equals four, uh -huh. or this is a table. Sorry, I teach philosophy. Yeah. Or yeah. there's stuff this is why like we invited don't Spencer. like. And, and I'm sorry, yeah. we can't have the attitude of I like, but you, don't you like. And so you would say within church, if you just really like it, that's kind of virtuous. That, well, if you so like somebody like this song that I sang one in church recently, won't say shine, where. Jesus, that, shine, Jesus, shine, church with your synthesizer, right? If right, yeah. Like <laughs> or like <laughs> it was know? kind of a sending song, like you go to this, and there was just a line like, God will be watching over you. and God. Anyway, the song itself, like, theologically was really, really, it, it just was off. But you know what? But How you dare couldn't you say tell that, me right? I can't like it. I think right. it's great, and you can't tell me I don't like it. Well, I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you can't make qualitative judgments. I'm just saying don't underestimate the power of your cultural shaping. That's, that's all I'm saying. So for, give me, give me an, to give you an example, yeah. you find Anglican hymns very congregational. You, those are what you think that we should study. Because to Jesus see, did. Anyway. Yes, yes. <laughs> to see, right? And, and, so, and I have always, to be honest with you, struggled a little bit with the melodies of Anglican hymns. I don't find them intuitive. I find Baptist hymns incredibly intuitive, and I think everybody should study that. So Baptist it's a little bit of where you grew up. It, yeah, it yeah. is true. Absolutely. Um, I, t I sort of uh, had a foray into attending Christ Church Cathedral, having grown up in an evangelical yeah. church. And I am going to take another run at it because I think there's some value. Oh, sorry, Catherine. Yeah. There's some value there for sure, uh, as for me coming from where I came from. But you're right when you say your ears are kind of tuned by what you've moved in, right? Because entering into that world where all the music is hymns, um, I felt a little at sea and participating yeah. in that. And to my ear, those that didn't sound. Right, and it didn't sort of create a resonance in me in the same way. Right. Um, I'm just going to be a totally pretentious person yeah. and say there's a difference between baby duck and Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, but I think... Smelly's like... Oh, my God. But there is... I agree. It's a he's better melody than the old rugged cross. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> wow. That's, Catherine that's, that's a big gun. My point was going to be that... Better lock the rector's cover. Just to say I think that's really true, because... You know, if you yeah. ask me, do you want to get into a room and sing those songs that you grew up with? I would yeah. say no, I really don't. <laughs> um, but that shaped what I consider to be a corporate worship song, right? Yeah. Or, or, or what I've known it to be. And so. I mean, think about how... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's rich. Wow. That's I love rich. That's rich. What are you doing, I of all people? Well, no, what I'm saying is... is yeah. So, yeah. but that's a horrible verse from a fantastic song. Yes, and yes. so, yeah. but here's what what I was gonna say is that music uses so many of our senses. When we sing, we listen, we feel it. It vibrates in our bodies, mm -hmm. and um, just like you know, when you the smell is a strong sense, and you smell something, and it'll bring you right back to that place. I think there's so much of the music that we listen to that is so nostalgic. It just immediately mm -hmm. will evoke a memory or this this feeling 
and it'll bring you right back to where you've felt yeah. at different points in your journey. Yeah. And if it happened to be a wonderful part of your journey with, with God or in your faith or with other people or where you were at that time in your life, yeah. then those songs are going to evoke certain emotions in you just physically, like you can't avoid that. Yeah. And then if it's a, if it's something you haven't experienced mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you typically get an emotional feeling or a physical feeling through worship, you're not going to get that in a different in a different place because you haven't engaged those those senses with that right. music before. So it just is right. a relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, Spencer. No, no, don't, no, okay. no, no, no. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no. I, I mean, I just, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I sympathize with, but I think there's an assumption that taste is flat, that it's democratic. I don't think it is. I think that there there's are some bad things. There are better and worse things. Absolutely. And if you've been brought up with certain things, yeah, then you're ear goes there but that doesn't necessarily make them as good as oh, things a hundred percent i can yeah. tell you i belt out like like i'm sorry i can belt out avalon testify to love like nobody <laughs> else's business i remember in bible college like yeah. four-part harmony in the car driving an hour to a starbucks like and now i listen to that song my husband mocks it so yeah. bad i mean is it the best song in the history of time no, no but it evokes such wonderful memories for me that I don't care. At, I, I'm just in it. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm. That relates to what yeah. I'm trying to say about how deep our cultural assumptions are. And I think uh, I think I can't remember if it's Madeline Langer or Margaret Gunther who talks about how quickly we fossilize icons into idols, right? Mm -hmm. So an icon is something that you look through to see <laughs> God. Mm. So a particular worship style or a particular song or, you know, and this can be like the other mm -hmm. aspects of the service too, the way mm -hmm. the way we do the prayers of the people. The way the you way do communion. We, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, all of that. We have a profound en encounter with God. It serves as an icon for us. And then, you know, for many of us, th there's a strong temptation to fossilize that into an idol. Now it's like, this is the only way that we can we can do this. So it, it doesn't, I, I'm not disagreeing, Spencer, that there are some things that are objectively good and objectively bad, but I think that we are self-deceived if we don't think nostalgia and cultural mm -hmm. shaping. Well, and one um, of the things, one of the things I wanted to make sure we touched on um, before we wrap up is um, what you said, Todd, around communion. Um, I think communion is one of the most important, uh, unbelievably spiritual connecting parts of worship in any body, whether you do it here at a dining room table or in a church. I had the privilege of uh, going to Evolving Faith, which is a conference in Denver recently. It was amazing. And let me tell you, a room of 2,500 like ragamuffins, literally people from all churches all over North America. These are people who have typically um, struggled maybe in different parts of their faith or with evangelicalism. And here we all are taking communion together. So I went by myself, tons of people went by themselves. We didn't know anybody. And let me tell you, it, like it is something to behold. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most impactful and beautiful moments of my life. Um, to be served communion by Barbara Brown Taylor of all wow. people. I'm still yeah, going to really? be processing that Seriously? for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I literally sobbed. It was, it was, it was quite a moment. And, and so I, I just think, you know, when we think about the hopeful gospel and where we want to take things in the future, I think to think about, like to think of the art and the connectedness piece is so important. Like whatever can, whatever can be artful and can be 
um, from inside and, and accessing those emotions, whether yeah. it's, you know, Brian's painting or yeah. um, music or that communion is, that's what's going to engage us and connect us all together. I love that. I think I, one of the things I think in terms of arts and formation, so in, in or out of the congregational worship context, is that the arts can disciple our senses. Mm -hmm. So they can teach us to look with care, they can teach us to listen with attention, to touch carefully, to taste carefully. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it was so gracious of God to say, when you remember me, like, chew this, mm -hmm. eat this, drink mm -hmm. this. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a, a part of why communion is so empower, uh, powerful again is because it's embodied mm -hmm. and um yeah that at, at brian's church we have it every week which mm -hmm. again was not part of my tradition and it's changed my whole way of thinking about church because now sometimes you know maybe he's not preaching and maybe i'm not sure about the guest <laughs> preacher or whatever and i might want to take a pass but i don't want to miss yeah i don't want to miss the eucharist mm -hmm. i need it for for the coming week so mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad thank you, so you. Open thank you both for uh kind of steering us there toward the end towards that hopefulness and the reminder that something bigger is happening and i and i'm mindful of that like i kind of make the joke that sometimes i love music like it, it's so bad that i loved it you know and i think <laughs> and, I'm, and that's not just the a joke it's that the acknowledgement that something bigger is going yeah. on or at least that's the intention and so there's a humility and even even sitting there and kind of if you can participating yeah. when something that you think is not that great is is happening that's not to say we should aim for that or anything but and i think certainly on the spiritual level communion brings you back to to remind you that there's something bigger going on here yeah. than a particular like song selection or even the points of the sermon that this is this is Christ offering himself for the hope of the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so thank you so much. We're going to kind of steer towards the end, but before I close off, uh, Ken Bell, the Rector's Cupboard, has come back to present the little thanks to Carolyn for being our guest. Yes, thank you very much. That was an uh, amazing conversation. We will continue after we, we close off here with discussing some of these things because Spencer probably has more opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, as a thank you for coming on the show, uh, we want to give you a little bottle of the limoncello thank you. As, as a thank you as well. We understand that you really like meat. I do. And so <laughs> we heard, we got, I think it's like 35 day dry aged strip oh, loin steak. Oh, now you're nice. talking. Wow. Now you're talking. And a little bit of chocolate too. Nice. So thank, thank you very much for thank coming on. So that much. was wonderful. Thank you, Carol. Uh, thank you guys. Thanks for the And uh, we also thank, thank um, the Woods Distillery for uh, the limoncello as well. If you happen to be in the Vancouver, North Vancouver area, stop by and uh, grab some of their limoncello or other wares. Great. Thanks. Thank you, Ken, so much. And thank you, Catherine. Thank you. And Ken and uh, producer Rick and Carolyn for being our guest. And thank you, Spencer, as well, for chiming in. Greatly appreciated, particularly uh, as you've been under the weather. Really glad you were here. So let's wrap up with I can sing of your love forever. over the mountains <laughs> just, and just, the sea. Just 20 your verses. Your river runs with love for me. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Okay>, <laughs>